Before we start this episode, I'd like to tell you about something rather exciting. It's rather fantastic and I'm getting very embarrassed telling you about it, but hey, what the heck? The British Podcast Awards are happening in July 2021 and they have a Listener's Choice Award. And yes, you know what I'm going to say, where you can vote for any of your favourite podcasts Okay, I'm blushing, I'm embarrassed to ask, but if you could very kindly vote for this podcast, we will love you even more. But we love you hugely. I don't know how that can get even bigger, but we really will. You simply go to britishpodcastawards.com slash vote. And then please, if you wouldn't mind, type in that Gabby Roslin podcast to vote. That's britishpodcastawards.com slash vote and type in that Gabby Roslin podcast. There we go. I'm embarrassed for asking, but there we go. I asked. Oh, no. If you could do it, thank you. I just want to congratulate the team that make this podcast. That's the gorgeous Hayley, the gorgeous Kate. It's Cameo Productions because, yes, we've all been nominated in the British Podcast Awards for the Military Wives, the official film podcast. And I just want to share my love for the team because I actually do love them. Now, on with the show. I had the nicest time chatting to Danny Mays. We talk about so much of his brilliant work. Des with David Tennant, Code 404 with his good friend Stephen Graham, and just living and partying with Craig Parkinson, a.k.a. the caddy from Line of Duty. Plus, one of my favourite films, Swimming with Men, it's a joy, and spending two weeks in a swimming pool grabbing Rob Brydon's ankle. Yes, his ankle. Also working with the directing greats like Sam Mendes and Steven Spielberg. And he has some really special messages for up-and-coming actors. Hope you enjoy listening. Danny Mays. Hi, Gabby. Just, uh, you know, I'm going to start this whole thing just by... I hope Louise isn't too close because I just, I love you. And it's as simple as that. I've known you 17 years. I just worked out. Oh, really? Was that, uh, we did that read through together all those years ago. Is it that long? 17 years ago. Wow. That is a long time. You just left RADA when we did this. We did the weirdest (laughs) run through of the worst comedy ever. It was a sitcom, wasn't it? And Alistair McGowan was there. Um, what was it called? I can't remember the name of it. Oh, I can't remember. It was just awful. <laughs> it didn't go to series then, no. It was awful. And there was Claudie Blakely and... Oh, yeah. Craig was Parkinson was there, was he? Yeah. Lovely Craig. And Craig and you then... End, didn't you end up living... I don't mean living with, but as mates, living with each other after that? Yeah, that was the... Um, yeah, that was the first time I ever met Craig. And then he was looking for a flat. I split up with a girlfriend. Then it all just sort of, the stars aligned. And then we started living together in Crouch End uh, for about just over a year. Yeah. I can't really remember a lot about that year. Two young up-and-coming actors, say no more. But um, it was, uh, yeah, it was a glorious time. I love you two and your friendship. You have got this, you can tell that you've lived together because you know <laughs> things about each other that... You know, he always tells me your your things that you got up to and your dancing, <laughs> which is now loud and proud on all the TV shows. You're always doing your dancing. Jonathan Ross got you up there doing your uh, Michael Jackson dancing. He did indeed. I sort of knew that that was uh, he had that up his sleeve. Um, 
I wasn't, you know, pre-prepared for it, but I, I, I said, sort of had one eye on the fact that he might ask me to do it. You know, how it works. But um, no, it's good. Yeah, it was. Um, it was just a, such a laugh living with Craig. Um, we had one of those flat warmings, you know, where you, you know, the guy in the yellow pages when he wakes up. It was a bit like that. We had a flat warming. It was on a first floor flat. There was cream carpets, and I think the entire population of Crouch End gate crashed. I don't know oh. what we were thinking. It was a rented flat and um, <laughs> it was, yeah, we sort of came around the following morning and it was just um, a sea of people with <laughs> red wine stains and cigarette burns oh. and it was, uh, it was complete madness. Yeah, yeah, it was um, one to remember. But um, suffice to say, I don't think we got our deposit back, Gabby. Are you surprised me? I just wondered if you'd use lots of salt and lots of vanish, whatever it is, or shake and vac or whatever. No, I don't think we were uh, that equipped. I think we just lost our deposit. <laughs> I needed you on speed dial back then to help us through it. Oh, my word. Do you know what? You But you you are just a complete and utter joy. So 17 years ago when I met you and Craig, and um, Craig and I have been uh, in touch ever since, and, and you and I meet every so often and I just it is so lovely you haven't oh as corny as this sounds you and Craig you know you've had such success and you over the past year you know with Des and with White Lines and Code 404 and Temple and as you know one of my favorite films Swimming with Men and Fisherman <laughs> Friends you I mean you've had a phenomenal few years but you were exactly the same now as you were then Oh, really? Well, yeah, all that swimming in trunks in Swimming With Men hasn't changed me. Um, I don't know. I try to be... Um, you've got to stay grounded, haven't you, Gabby? You've got to keep your feet on the ground. Um, I'm blessed to have a loving family around me with Lou and my two kids. And, you know, I'm I'm close to all of my brothers. I've got two older brothers, one younger. So I'm one of four boys. Um, so I'm always... Well, I was seeing them and then lockdown hit, but... I don't know. Family is really important to me. Um, I always have that mentality when I'm working that whatever job you finish, that's there and that's gone. And then you wipe the slate clean and come afresh to the new character that you're playing. So I try and just keep everything grounded and fresh and um, yeah, just sort of ride the wave, really. I've never had a game plan, Gabby. I've never really... The beauty and fear of this profession is you never really know what's around the corner. And um, I kind of, as as crazy as it sounds, you have to kind of embrace that as much as possible. Um, but I'm blessed to have a load of supporting people around me, yeah. It's a tough thing to embrace that because there are a lot of actors out there who find embracing, they really want to embrace that, but they think, Oh, but it's the next, when's the next job? When's the next job? And you just strike me. I mean, I, ha I have to say all the stuff, you know, okay, so you and I know each other, but I was, do I was sat down and doing all my research and everything, seeing if there's anything that I missed. And th there is, nobody has a bad word to say about you. So with the craziness of, of the job that you do and all the people that you meet, mm. you're, you're just one of the good, good guys. And that's just so lovely. I feel like a, an auntie who's very proud. <laughs> I think you've got to be easy to work with. I mean, I'm not, um, I'm not a diva by any stretch of the imagination. You know, I, th there's those sort of rules that 
you know, that game plan that you should sort of stick by where, you know, being kind to people, turning up on time, knowing your lines, you know, thinking about the character, all that sort of stuff, you know, don't bump into the furniture. <laughs> but it's sort of, I think, um, you've got to be easy to get on with. You've got to be a collaborator. And that, by by saying that, it, it it allows the sort of door to remain open for pe- for people to want to continue to work with you really um there's no you know sort of putting tv productions together or putting a play on it's they're always like a huge team effort it's a collaborative effort and you have to be uh part of that team and not be not be a problem so and deliver the goods and i think i've always held on to that and um it's always been definitely a pattern in my work where directors or producers or, or or whoever have wanted to continue the working relationship and oh, how lovely. which is great that's really lovely um isn't that how i mean that's how many of your jobs that you worked with one person and i think isn't that with um code 404 which oh i i love that show it yes. makes me laugh so much uh, you and Stephen, obviously, uh, I know it's it's very um, hugely publicised that you were friends and that you got him that job and <laughs> and that you two working together. Ju- you, ju- I just love that show, and you're doing more of those as well, aren't you? Yeah, I didn't think Stephen Graham was working enough, so I, I thought I'd give him a hand. You know, <laughs> yes, it's kind of you. You're generous. <laughs> uh, we, we've just finished the second series of it, Gabby, and it's um, you know we obviously had to film it in lockdown, which you know. Uh, was strange in itself it definitely took us a good week to kind of get our heads around it and the crew were amazing wearing all the PPE and social distancing and it was a real real kind of gigantuan effort to get through it but um I have to say it's one of if not the most enjoyable uh projects to work on because you know Steve's an old mate of mine we've known each other since forever and uh, as soon as I read the pilot for that uh, for the show, I just said to the producers, because they wanted to attach me very early on to get the ball rolling with it. And I was like, who are you thinking for the other copper? Who, who's going to play Roy? And they, it's very early. And I said, listen, you've got to cast Stephen Graham. I think he'd be absolutely perfect for it. Because we, I mean, we'd worked together on a show called Top Buzzer years ago and I've always wanted to do something else. But we've also been so busy all the time. So... Um, we, Gabby, we just have an absolute ball on it. And the characters, you know, I'm the kind of crazy, goofy guy. And then, um, you know, Stephen plays it straight. So it's a really, you know, on paper, it's a brilliantly written comedic double act by Daniel Peake. He's an amazing writer of the show. and um, But particularly with the second series, because it did so well first time around, it got a great reaction from the audience. We've really just... Um, pushed the boat out on it even more. We've made it more ambitious. There's more stunts. There's more set pieces. And I think Stephen and I, and we've got the brilliant Anna Maxwell-Martin in it, we just we feel a lot more comfortable now with the um, with the characters. So there's been a lot more ad-libbing and impro, and we've just had more and more fun oh, with it. Oh, that's what I was going to ask you. So there is quite a lot of ad-libbing. There, there, there was definitely second time around. I mean, we have an amazing... Uh, director and Al Campbell who um did the first and second season and Al I mean I have to give him a shout out because he's such a phenomenal director and he he can kind of come up with these amazing ideas in the moment as as much as anyone so it's um I think without Al leading from the front it wouldn't be the show it is but it's um 
I mean, more than the the outtakes we're on Code Four Hundred Four is actually becoming more and more famous than the show itself. Oh my! I love the bloopers. I love that bloopers tape. Makes me laugh so much. So, yeah, they showed us the blooper reel on when we wrapped uh, on the second series at the end there, and it was just um, because it's always so intense, isn't it, Gavin? I think obviously if you're shooting in. In a pandemic as well, everything becomes even sort of more uh, focused and concentrated. And um, as I said, it was a monumental thing to get through it. So and then when you sit down and you watch the blooper reel, you kind of just forget how much you actually get through and how much you shoot over a seven week period, you know, because it's kind of like a blur. I mean, Code 404, once you start filming, you just don't stop because Stephen and I are pretty much in every single scene oh together so there's the line learn is huge and you just have to keep it fresh and play the comedy and so it's um I always I mean everyone says comedy is harder than drama and I completely agree with that I think it's um oh well you do it brilliantly you really do <coughs> but it's very funny last night I was watching the uh 404 uh blooper reel from uh <laughs> season one and it's you had to put in your age and everything because it says it's you know, it's 18 plus. And my 13-year-old right. is looking over my shoulder. She said, what are you watching? I went, nothing. She said, yeah, no, it, it right. says 18 plus. Mum, what are you about to watch? And I suddenly, I got really embarrassed. <laughs> I went, nothing. And she said, no, no, mum. Honestly, I think she thought I was sneakily watching some porn. And that, I can't believe it. She's like, it's asking the, your age. Wow. I mean, so the, for, so the blooper was 18 plus. Is that just because there's so much swearing in it, Gabby? It yes. must be. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, too much swearing from Stephen Graham. That'll be it. I love it. I absolutely love it. I love you two together. It's just perfect because, of course, you taught you you were in Line of Duty, and then he was obviously Craig was as the uh, caddy. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I love Line of Duty from from season one. I was obsessed with that. I'm going to say it again: Swimming with Men, which is <laughs> one of those quiet sleeper films that. If you're in the club of people who've watched this film, so I've now seen it. I'm going to be. Absolutely honest with you, I've seen it four times. Oh wow! You 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 know the routines and everything. Oh, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's just a really special film. It was it's it's heart is totally in the right place. It kind of ticks that box, doesn't it, of British films that are all about the underdog. You know, we sort of you know people think of the Full Monty. I sort of did another movie, Fisherman's Friends, which sort of oh, I love has that the same well. sort of feel. You know, um, but Swimming with Men was just. And I mean, it was just bizarre, really, from from the from the off, because um, I'd worked with Ollie Parker, the director, before he shot um, when we did the remake of Dad's Army, which was a another amazing experience. Ollie's such a a lovely guy, and he phones me up and says, "Listen, I've got this movie." Um, and the first thing he says, "Danny, can you swim?" And that was the first thing, and I was like, <laughs> "Oh yeah, I can swim, Ollie. What's going on?" And then he said, "Okay, it's about a male." synchronized swimming team and I was like man that sounds bizarre and then Rob Brydon was attached and then they got more and more brilliant actors and Jim Carter and Thomas Turgus and Rupert Graves and Adil and all these people and I, I thought this is just I think if, if we got it right it could really be a beautiful special little film oh. and then I, I said yes to it and then we did two weeks intensive swim school at the London Aquatic Centre. Well, Gabby, we got to the end of the first day and we were absolutely exhausted. <laughs> we were like, I thought, oh, so I can't do this for another two weeks. So in actual fact, it's a beautiful, heartwarming film to watch, but 
it was kind of like a grueling shoe as well as it was hugely fun to shoe it was kind of grueling i don't recommend being in a you know swimming pool for like six seven hours a day and i always remember when i got into the trailer on day one there was this lovely bouquet of flowers danny welcome to the film blah 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 and next to it was a tub of moisturising cream. <laughs> oh, that's a bit different. Oh, my God, did did we need it? I mean, we were kind of... It, chlorine plays havoc on your uh, skin, what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but the synchronised swimming. So did you do... Yeah. Was it really you guys doing the synchronised swimming? Yeah, we had an amazing uh, girl called... Uh, Adele from the aquatics, um, aqua, what were they called? Aquabatics or aquatics? I can't remember the name of it. Forgive me. But, um, it, so we literally, um, worked out all of the routines. So we would, I mean, that was the bizarre thing. We were literally thrown into the deep end, all of us, part of the pun. And it was just, you know, throughout a rehearsal process, you really get to know your fellow actor. Whereas on day one, I was grabbing Rob Brydon's left ankle, Rupert Graves' calf. <laughs> and I, it was like, our, you know, we were sort of there with just our trunks on, like writhing around in the water together. <laughs> and um, so that sort of feeling of intimacy was, it was, you sort of bonded on a much deeper <laughs> physical level with all of them. And I always say that Jim Carter, the lovely Jim Carter, is the most buoyant actor in equity because he could never sink. <laughs> we just had to keep weighing him down in his trunks. Um, but we, we seriously, we perfected the wilting flower, the apex variable. And I mean, it was great because our fitness levels and our body shapes improved dramatically throughout the course of the um, film, definitely after the two weeks. And then that stamina and your breath capacity improves. So it was a real kind of um, amazing experience to go through and we have produced a really lovely film at the end of it. Oh, I love it. I, lo I really, really love that film. But So was it based on truth, that? Because I know that the Fisherman's Friends was, and of course you played Ronnie Biggs and, and yeah. also obviously Des, which we're going to talk about. So there's a lot of people that you've played who are who are real, if that makes sense. It's not just fictional people. Does that, do you have a completely different mindset? Because you think, oh, this is a real person. Yeah, I just think it it, it kind of adds that extra level of uh, responsibility to it and spice into the whole mix. It's, it's always about, I think the onus much more falls on research of knowing who that person is, um, if they've got a different accent to yours perfecting that how physically are they um and i think it's um with those types of jobs it's always about it's never about um doing an imitation of someone it's always about trying to find the essence of that character do you know what i mean i mean something like ronnie biggs for example you know um there's a huge amount of you know tabloid uh stuff in the tabloids about Ronnie Biggs and you have that preconceived idea of who he is through what you read in the papers. So it was all about trying to delve beneath that and trying to flesh him out as a human being. I mean, that's the thing. You just want to, you know, humanise these people as, as best you possibly can. And um, But have it, you know, come from you. It's just about finding the essence of who that person is and and 
trying to channel that really um, for it to be believable. Well, also with Dares, I mean, I just mentioned Dares and we have to talk about it because it's one of, you know, it is going to, I, I just have a feeling and I think everybody knows it's going to win every award out there. And I've spoken, I just spoke to Jason Watkins uh, um, for ah. this podcast as well recently. I mean, it, it, and I spoke to David, I, I sound like I'm name dropping. I spoke to David <laughs> you, Tennant a few weeks ago You've done ago the well. whole cast, Gabby. I know. <laughs> it blew my mind. I think with everybody it did. And the performances, your performance, I know I messaged you. I was, I was so in awe of, of you, but I've read a lot that you, you found it very tough to do and you took the darkness back with you. And you said earlier that you don't really, you sort of leave it at the, you leave it back at work, but Des must've been a really mm. tough one. Wow. I finished on white lines. I was doing the show uh, for Netflix and then I got this amazing offer for Des. And so I sort of came back from that hedonistic, amazing adventure out in Mallorca on white lines and then was sort of plunged polar opposite drama into the world of Dennis Nielsen and uh, all of the research for that. I mean, there's countless. I mean, I just literally saturated myself in all of the documentaries. I read Brian Masters' book, King for Company. Uh, ITV gave us loads of sort of research material to work on. And it was, um, it kind of really, it did affect me. I mean, I, I poor Lou, I woke my wife, wife up twice I had two nightmares, like terrible. I don't really have dreams or nightmares or anything like that. Or if I do, I never remember them. But I was, I had two dreams where I was locked in an attic with Dennis Nilsson. Oh my God. And literally woke up screaming. And it happened on two occasions. So it was, I think the Dennis Nilsson case was so kind of, it's mind boggling what he did. And to try and get your head around that and try and understand. Uh, how something like that could actually happen. And then to obviously play Peter Jay, the constable responsible for his conviction, it's you have to sort of place yourself at the centre of that world. And um, because, you know, Peter Jay, uh, particularly in, in, the, in the drama, he is the eyes of the audience. He takes the weight and onus and responsibility of all of those victims on his shoulders. And I think that was always the key to the character and our brilliant director Lewis Arnold said you know he is the way in for the audience he's very much the heart and soul of the whole piece and that really wasn't lost on me I wanted to really take the audience on that journey and it was lovely for me Gabby actually to play a character who was kind of polar opposite to White Lines or a Code 404 where they're very big and you know um comedic or you know very sort of extroverts uh whereas this was i had to internalize it and make him a very insular and watch watchable character you know it was about him just observing it no less feeling all of the emotion that um he was going through but just sort of keeping a, a sort of lid on it if that makes sense um because it de i mean it definitely it definitely affected him that guy i mean he left police force two years after the case finished so it definitely left the mark on him Oh, well, I, I mean, the whole thing was remarkable. Uh, the actual case itself obviously was was horrific, but but the drama was done so beautifully and it wasn't, they didn't, it wasn't made showbiz. It wasn't, uh, I, I, it was just the right tone. Yeah, it wasn't about sensationalising Dennis Nielsen. It was about, I think, the, the drama was always about what was the cost of Dennis Nielsen and how, in fact, it affected 
obviously the victims, but also their extended families. It was all about getting, you know, it was always told from a point of absolute reverence and respect for the subject matter. And, um, you know, the, the script was beautifully written by Luke Neal. And like you, like you mentioned, when you sit across from actors like, you know, the exceptional Jason Watkins and David Tennant, it kind of, it's all the more easier your job, you know, actors of that calibre, it really does force you to sort of raise your game. And then, you know, I thought both of their performances were absolutely stellar. They were Well, tremendous. they said the same about you, so you've got to know that. <laughs> oh, that's very kind of them. In real life, though, obviously you've gone through quite a drama. I know you've spoken about it, but uh, Louise's uh, broken leg when... Yeah. And you see you laugh every time. It's oh, just, just every time I mention your wife's broken leg, you start <laughs> laughing. Well, you can laugh at it in hindsight. At the mo- When it happened, it was... Um, it was horrendous, Gabby, because uh, not least the actual injury itself. It was this freak accident. Um, it was, the, <laughs> I have to laugh because it's the timing of it, Gabby. It was literally the Sunday before the schools went into lockdown. So <laughs> I was, there was me thinking, you know, Lou and I were going to tackle home the homeschooling front, the both of us together. And it was just me, myself and I. And Lou was bedbound because she, she unfortunately broke her leg. So um, Lou was bedbound. Milo was in the loft doing mock GCSEs. Uh, I was homeschooling. It was just, um, I felt like I got hit by a train, yeah. But she, how about her with her broken leg? I love it. It's oh, about you feeling like you've been knocked No, by yeah. Train. I mean, Gabby, it was, it was just, it was, it was one of those horrendous injuries where you, you heard the bone actually snap. Ah. It was like a football injury where the guy's studs get How caught in the grass. How did she do it? She literally slipped down a, a, a bank, a grass bank, which was on a slope. And she just carried it. And then her foot got lodged and then she toppled over. And, I, <gasps> and basically her, her ankle didn't move. So oh. it just went snap like that. And because it, you know, the COVID thing was raging at that moment and, Lou was very nervous about being around people. So we actually decided to go on a on a, a walk around the back of my daughter's school in Mill Hill. And it's a really remote area, Gabby. So uh, we were literally in the middle of this wood um, and Lou was screaming in agony and her ankle was getting more and more swollen. And I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? So our lovely friends, uh, Heather and Kevin, who don't live too far away from that area, I, I bailed Kevin and he came and saved the day and we threw Lou in the car and drove her to A&E. So from being at a point of not wanting to be around anyone, we were three hours in Barnet A&E, who were absolutely fantastic. Um, but I remember saying, you know, Is there, have you got any COVID cases here? And he went, Mr Mays, they're just the other side of that wall and we've got plenty. So I was just oh like, word. it was a huge drama, but thankfully. Uh, Is she all right now? It. Yeah, she's fine. She's fine. But it was, um, it was, it was just shocking. Like, like a sort of freak accident is. It's sort of, oh, you just thing. sort of go into panic mode, don't you? And did Milo, how did Milo's GCSEs go? He did fine. He was just the, the sort of mock exam things, but I had to sort of, you know, prepare the loft in a sort of exam type, you know, I printed off all the papers I had the stopwatch. I did all of that stuff. I gave him a glass of water. It was like, so I was schoolmaster cook. Uh, the homeschooling with our daughter Dixie was just like, just trying to, 
get a small monkey to sit down in place just to do it. It was <laughs> just like... I mean, we were doing Joe Wick's workouts one minute or science experiments in the garden the next. It was... Um, I mean, lockdown was lockdown, wasn't it? And and you just had to get through it the best way you possibly could. It was... Um, yeah, but you carried on working, though, you said, because, of course, you were doing 404, and aren't you filming or finished filming or about to I'm film I'm filming Temple the second well. series of Temple now. But, I mean, I... I finished Des and then I'd had a ridiculous run of work. And so I said, listen, I'm going to have a bit of time off. You know, I don't need to do anything for a while. And then lockdown happened. And then sort of not wanting to do anything for a while turned out to be seven months. And and to not act for seven months is slightly, I mean, I know lots of actors kind of don't work for that time. But it for me, it was, um, you know, I just, I think at the end of it all, I was, I just it reaffirmed how much I love to do what I do. And if I'm not yeah. allowed, to, I, I, I missed it terribly. I missed that, not just the camaraderie and the banter and all the stuff that you get on film sets, but I just missed the endeavour of playing another character and, and doing my job. But actually all the shows that, that I've mentioned and all the shows that you've done, you know, they keep us all going. We're all, you know, everybody devoured Line of Duty from the beginning all over again. And yeah. Star Wars. I haven't even talked. That's so funny. I talk about swimming with men, and yet you've been in Star Wars. <laughs> you've worked with Spielberg, but I will always go back to swimming with men. Who who wants to talk about Spielberg and Star Wars when you've done swimming with men? Let's be honest. And 1917, you were in that as well. Yes, that was an amazing um, call out of the blue from uh, my agent saying that Sam Mendes wants you to do a a tiny role. It was one of those things going, look, Danny, it's just a cameo, but they're all doing it. Mark Strong, Andrew Scott, Benedict Cumberbatch. And I was just like, of course, yeah, it's, um, of course I'd love to do that. And it was an amazing, you know, just the chance to work with um, Sam Mendes. And it was just, you know, because I've been such a huge fan of his films over the years. And this is a great example for any young actors starting out because I'd never met Sam Mendes in person at all. And I had sort of three days on 1917. If you've seen the movie, I start the film with the two boys and we walk down the trench together and I take them to go and see Colin Firth, the colonel. I sort of essentially had a cough and a spit in it, but Sam wants to meet you, Danny, just to talk about your character. And I and um, so I sort of arrived, we filmed it on Salisbury Plain quite early and I knocked on his trailer and he opened it and he said, come in. And he was absolutely lovely to chat to and we... We spoke about the film, but he did say, oh, Danny, it's so great. Thank you so much for agreeing to do it. I just want to say I've seen you in this production, that production, that play. And I suddenly thought I'd never even knew that he was sitting in the audience watching me. And it's just you just for any young actor starting out, you just never know who is sitting in the darkened auditorium. And, you know, they will remember your performance and hopefully down the line. They want to work with you. So that's such good advice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought, you know, it's how great that he. He remembered that and um, it all helps, doesn't it, really? It really does. But, uh, OK, we will, we have to mention Spielberg and, and Star Wars. I mean, your CV is pretty darn impressive. They're all, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's great. I mean, what can you say about those things other than you have to just sort of ride the wave with it, really? What was he like? What was Spielberg like? It's just incredible. I mean, the thing about Tintin, which is the film I made with him, it was all motion capture. Again, this is another example uh, or story for, for not just actors, but anyone that is maybe on a sort of downward curve or 
you know, um, feeling dispirited about things. I can remember a lot of the time when you self-tape and you put yourself up for American things, for me anyway, it doesn't really come off. It's a, hu- it's a huge effort to learn the lines, to get somebody to read the lines, you record it, you edit it, you press send, and invariably you don't hear back. That's the reality of it, okay? Um, this audition came in for Tintin, directed by Steven Spielberg and Peter Jackson. That was the other thing. And I was, and I, and, and um, lovely Gina Jay was casting it down in Lewisham, and I had to learn like three scenes or something. And I couldn't, I, I, I was just a bit grumpy about it all. And I, because I think I'd had a run of disappointments with self tapes, but this was actually going to the casting suite itself. And I remember saying, and to my wife, I said, I can't, do you know what? I just, I can't be asked. It's never going to happen. It's never going to come off. What's the point? And um, I was like a bear with a sore head going all the way down to the casting saying, you know, I just, this is just pointless. Um, and Lou was like, listen, you can't be like that. You've got to go in and give it your best shot. Anyway, to cut a long, long story short, I did the casting. I left. And then I had this call out of the blue. I was in the parking crouch end with my agent saying, and this is the exact thing you want to hear, right, from your agent. Steven Spielberg loves your tape. Yes! Yes! <laughs> yeah. And I just saw everything stopped. And I went, for real? And she went, yeah, Danny, listen, it's between you and someone else. That's the thing you don't want to hear. <laughs> but then she said, um, they're either going to go really older with the part, Danny, or a bit younger, which is you, and it's a 50-50 chance. I was like, you're kidding me. Thankfully, it went my way. And um, then I was on this whole journey of flying out to LA, having tests, um, wearing the all-in-one wetsuit, 200 reflective dots on your face, uh, Daniel Craig's the main baddie, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, the guru uh, himself, Andy Serkis doing all the motion capture, Jamie Bell as Tintin. And then uh, I'm standing there on set on day one and then all of a sudden the door opened and out walked Steven Spielberg with all these people around him. And he was like, great to meet you, Danny. Hey, man, let's just go to work. And it was just like, boom. <gasps> and he was just in the moment coming up with all these amazing ideas Um it was just incredible. So it's just a great example of always keeping the faith, really, and um, seeing what comes in. Can we just go to back to real? That is quite. That is a great story, you know. Can we go back to real life? Am I right that that that, that did I ask you this already? But Stephen set you and Lou up, and but you and Lou have only just got married, but you've been together a long time, haven't you? Yeah, we got married um, a couple of years ago now, but we we've been together. How old am I now? Like about. 15 years. Yeah, long time. But getting married was never really kind of on the cards as such. And then things transpired and it was just like, now now feels like the right time. How lovely. And so we did it. And it was such a beautiful, magical day. Um, an unforgettable day that you sort of... I, I remember thinking, why on earth didn't we do this sooner? I mean, weddings are glorious events, aren't they? They are. Not least the union of two people, but... It's all of those, because life is so busy and you lose touch with people and it's the gathering of all of those people, your dear loved ones and friends in one room to celebrate the unity of two people is just, I can't remember a more magical day. It's a beautiful thing and uh, it was great, yeah. Very emotional. And it's lovely because the kids get to watch it. I think these days there's something very 
lovely about that. I remember our two girls watching us get married. And yes. Their, their faces, I think they were slightly even happier than, no, I mean, I'm not, but you know what I mean? They were just, they, they it was everything that they wished for. And I bet your kids were the same. They just looked at you with such love. Yeah, Dixie was our flower girl. Milo came down um, with the ring in the in, in the box and all that stuff. Oh. Um, he, 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 he was just teetering into sort of grumpy teenager mode. So it was a bit, I, I Kevin and Perry coming down the middle of the aisle. No, <laughs> no I didn't. Oh, it was very him. special. Yeah, yeah, it was lovely. So well, something I always ask everybody on these podcasts is what makes you belly laugh? What makes you really raucously laugh that you can't, you know, that you just lose it completely. And I know you like a laugh. Oh. What makes you properly um, laugh? I mean, listen, you can't, you cannot go wrong with, um, if I'm watching the telly, if an old rerun of Only Fools and Horses comes on, Gabby, that's, I'm done. Really? I'm just done. I'm just literally, that show to me is absolute genius. Like, I love it with a passion. I love the characters, I love all of the performances, but it's one of those things where um, even my kids, even my daughter knows the theme tune of Only Fools and Horses now because I just sing it around the house. So I can't, I can't just watch the first five minutes. If I, if I watched five minutes, bang, I have to sit down and watch the whole thing. And that, that's something that really makes me belly laugh without doubt, yeah. Oh, that's perfect. That's yeah. perfect. It's very funny because people say, lots of people say, all oh, my kids, or lots of people say, like me, I, if if people fall over. So I don't mean like... Oh, I mean, things like, I'm cool. always constantly laughing at, you know, kids and, and things like that. But um, yeah, I'm always... Uh, if you see the outtakes reel on uh, the new outtakes reel for Code 404, that, that, you'll see me belly laugh on that. Stephen Graham makes me belly laugh. Yeah, that's it, working with him. I cannot wait. Do you know what? I can't wait for everything that you do, as you know, because not only do I just completely love your pieces, but I'm a huge fan of your work. I think, oh, that sounded so showbiz. I'm a huge <laughs> fan of your work. I'm a huge um, fan. But I am. I just think what you do is so great and that you love every minute of it, which is even better. Um, so carry on doing what you do as wonderfully as you do, because you're a total joy. Oh, Gabby, thank you so It's lovely to chat to you today and it's been a joy. That Gabby Roslin podcast is proudly produced by Cameo Productions. Music by Beth Macari. Could you please tap the follow or subscribe button? And thank you so much for your reviews. I promise that the team and I have read them all and we really are rather overwhelmed and they really mean the world to us. So thank you so much. If you kindly leave a review or a comment, that would be lovely. Thank you. Thank you.